Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radel, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Brent Palm, Ashley Walker, and Mike Brim. We're going to delve into what's happening in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, it's time for the Great American Think Off, a sneak peek at the 2024 Minnesota State Fair. And Minnesota is hosting the 2024 Big Ten Women's Basketball Tournament. But first, the Minnesota Department of Human Rights announced Wednesday that Pet Ranch operator of Four Paws and a Tail in Blaine will have to pay an employee around $22,000 after they violated the victim's state civil rights law by firing her immediately after learning she was pregnant. Eminence Ashley Walker spoke to MDHR Commissioner Rebecca Lucero about the case, the increase in pregnancy discrimination cases recently seen in Minnesota, and what to do if you think your civil rights are being violated as an employer or an employee. So we're talking about yet another pregnancy discrimination case that you guys are handling. Could you first walk me through the case facts and the settlement that was agreed upon? Yeah, I would love to do that. So this case um, that we announced today is a settlement agreement with Pet Ranch. It operates four paws and a tail in Blaine. And this case um, is, uh, let's take a step back. So this case is about um, somebody who applied for a job, interviewed for that position, was offered the position, accepted that position, and then got their uniform and their schedule. And while they were talking to the manager, talked about their pregnancy, and in under an hour were um, fired, let go because of their pregnancy. Um, so this is blatant um, pregnancy discrimination. Um, and so we have settled with this case, uh, settled with this company. Um, and as part of this case, what we are looking at here is really making sure that there are good policies in place to prevent this from ever happening again. So this company is required to create good, strong policies in place. They did not have those. They have to train on those policies. Um, and then they have to enforce those policies. Importantly, we will monitor the company for three years to make sure that they are doing this well. Because, of course, you can have good policies in place, but if you aren't training or enforcing those policies, then it doesn't matter. Or you can um, train on bad policies, but it doesn't matter. So you have to make sure you're doing it correctly and you're sustaining that over time. So we're looking to change really the very culture um, that's going on to prevent this from happening um, ever again in the future um, um, at Pet Ranch. And this case is different, whereas in most cases, an employee is working at a company, gets pregnant, and then is fired because of it. But because they were already working there for a certain amount of time, employee back pay and job security are taken into the settlement agreement. Where with Hannah Gorell, the employee in this case, she was hired and fired in the span of just a few hours, like two hours. How did you guys come to the $22,000 for the settlement agreement? When you're looking at like something like back pay or compensatory damages or punitive damages and all of that, I mean, that's what somebody is technically eligible for under, under like if you're, you're taking it all the way through and like how that might be ruled on. And that might be something that you look at um, as you're like, hey, we're going to consider this or consider this. But in a settlement agreement, you're not necessarily breaking it up like that. There's an, there's an agreement that you come to um, um, that that is right for all of the parties and it's not broken up by that so in this case that we're talking about here with pet ranch the total amount is twenty two thousand dollars um which is the amount that all parties agree to at the end of the day um and that's that's what the settlement amount is um alongside all of the training um, policies um, and the amount that was agreed to upon by all parties when it comes to the other case that you're talking about which is pl dental um, that we settled at the end of 2023. That one is 97,500. Again, that one is that's the number that they agreed um, to, which which can include multiple factors. Um, um, and it just, there's just no special magic sauce that comes out of a settlement number, um, like there is like a jury award that you're talking about, where you're like, 
X amount for compensatory damages or X amount for, for some other damages. This is the second pregnancy discrimination case we've seen in a short amount of time here in Minnesota. Do you think more employers are discriminating against pregnant people or more people are stepping forward? I think that pregnancy discrimination is pervasive and persistent. And these cases are both, uh, the two cases that we announced here are both shocking but not surprising. Um, And what we see every single month is the most amount of cases that we get are in employment situations. And there are three cases that come through our door, three types of cases that come through our door every single month. And those most frequently are sex discrimination cases, which can include pregnancy discrimination cases, as well as sexual assault or harassment cases, um, disability discrimination cases, and race discrimination. Those race discrimination cases, those are always our top three most frequent type of cases that we see come through our door every single month. Um, And, you know, it can fluctuate month to month. So these are two cases that settled back to back here. And I think it's really important that we are sharing these stories because it provides an opportunity for employers across the state to say, hey, what happened here? And in both of these situations, you have employers who my guess is didn't say, hey, I want to be somebody who discriminates. That's my guess. And yet they both did blatant discrimination here. Um, And so this is an opportunity for all employers across the state to say, what's going on here? How can we make sure our policies are in place? How can we make sure that we're training correctly? How can we make sure we're enforcing this? Um, Because this keeps happening. You know, discrimination, pregnancy discrimination has been illegal in the state of Minnesota since the 70s. And yet it's been very pervasive since long before that. And 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 it persists to this day. And it's something that everybody can do something about. And so Um, This is an opportunity to make sure that um, um, people across Minnesota understand that they can report that they they think they've been discriminated against, and it's an opportunity for employers to proactively prevent this from even happening in the first place. Um, Discrimination can really uh, tear apart uh, somebody's life, and it it doesn't need to happen. And what do you recommend for employers slash employees who feel like they might be violating these rights or having their rights violated like this? That's a great question. Uh, For an employee or anyone, you know, um, somebody who's a tenant or Um, anyone who thinks that they might be discriminated against, I would really recommend that they contact our agency. um, And they can um, do that through our website. And they would um, um, have somebody from the investigative team reach back out to them and talk to them about their situation. I know some people can say, like, I'm not really sure. If you're not sure, contact our office, talk to somebody from the investigation team. And they can let you know whether or not it falls within um, the the bounds of our statute here and and, and what, what the next steps would be. For employers, um, the first thing that I would recommend for any employer to do is look over the policy. Make sure you even have a policy. Some employers don't have a policy. Um, for the case that we announced today um, with Pet Ranch, that's a, in that case, we found that that employer did not have any anti-discrimination policies in place for pregnant employees. So do you have a policy would be the first question. And then second, is the policy correct? Are they strong policies? Um, so review your policies. Make sure they're up to date and accurate. Make sure that employer, employees know what those policies are. Are they posted? When was the last time a training inc- occurred on that policy? Was it a, a training that included um, adult learning techniques to make sure that employees could actually understand those um, trainings? Um, and then is there any enforcement mechanism in place to make sure that if there are violations, we don't want there to be violations, but violations do occur. Um, if there are violations, are we enforcing um, um, the policies that are in place? Um, that's how you make sure that there's a culture that um, is inclusive and welcoming of um, people who are pregnant. Um, and then look around your workspace. Do you have wellness rooms and spaces so that people um, um, are able to, for instance, pump at work if they need to? Um, so those are the kind of things that you can do to um, create and enforce anti-discrimination policies um, and create inclusive workspaces. Eminence Ashley Walker and MDHR Commissioner Rebecca Lucero. 
Time for a quick break. More Minnesota Matters after this. It's Thursday night and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Started off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... ...could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radal. The Great American Think Off, based in New York Mills, has announced its question for 2024 competition and is accepting essays of 750 words or less through April 1st, which will definitely not be Fool's Day in that small north central Minnesota community. MN's Bill Werner talked with Betsy Roeder, executive director of the New York Mills Regional Cultural Center. The question this year is Is freedom of speech worth the cost? A very interesting question in an election year and all the things leading up to this, I would think. Uh, tell us a bit about um, how you came up with the topic and, and what you uh, see as the importance. We have a, a committee that is built of volunteers, uh, some that are local and regional and others that are a little further away. I think the furthest away is we have someone from Illinois who's a prior winner of the Think Off who's on the committee this year. And that group gathers and discusses different options for questions and in the end arrives at the, the year's questions. We, we take into account ideas that have been submitted by audience members at past think-offs. People email us ideas. They comment on social media. We bring in a lot of different ideas, and we really try to consider what's going on in, in the world at the time. So we try to come up with a question that is both timely and timeless, which can be kind of challenging, but we feel like this was a good one in that, you know, there's a lot of talk recently about free speech and, you know, should there be guidelines where we see college administrators We've had to make some pretty tough decisions about how to deal with free speech on college campuses, um, as an example. But then there also is this timeless philosophical idea that, you know, a freedom is something that is granted by the Constitution, but that does come with some sort of a cost at some point, is the belief. So I think it'll be an interesting year with, with essays coming in. I think you hardly could have chosen not only a more timely, but a more but a timeless question. Um, in this election year in particular, it, you know, I, I think about... Um, all the freedom of speech questions that have come up recently, all the way from uh, George Floyd, right, as an right. example, uh, which was freedom of speech, and, but in some way perhaps gone, certainly gone awry, um, to January 6th. Same kind right. of, kind of uh, situation and something that's playing out in this election year. You know, of course, questions like this are going to end up being political to an extent. But what I think about free speech is there's so many different ways to look at it. I mean, there could be this viewpoint like, yep, free speech, people can say whatever they want. But what about book banning? That's in a way, um, you know, it's going against free, free speech because we're saying we shouldn't have that available to kids in the library, for example. Well, then you're limiting free speech in that regard. So I think there's so many different ways to look at free speech. And we, we purposely kept it open. Um, we talked about, you know, should we, should we qualify it by saying unfettered free speech or, you know, something like that. But we decided to keep it open because we thought that would make the essays more interesting. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, you, you mentioned book banning. Um, the Internet, certainly. TikTok and some of the absolutely. other services that, that, are, that are very controversial now. Is that freedom of speech or does it go beyond um, responsible freedom of speech? But I think a lot of that will come in as we start to receive essays. And I, you know, I like questions that 
that enable people to come at whatever their background is or their experiences, they can tell that story from their point of view. And that's what makes for an interesting debate when we come to that point in the process as well. The philosophy behind holding a contest or a competition would probably be more accurate um, in a rural setting like New York Mills. Why are you doing this? I think it's really important to explain, to show, to show really, that people everywhere have big ideas about big topics. I think there sometimes can be generalizations about how rural people think and how urban people think. And I think they're exactly what I said. It's a generalization and you don't get the nuance of these people, of people who are living in these areas don't like to be lumped together. You know, everybody rural thinks this way, everybody urban thinks that way. So I, I think it's really important that this happens in a, a town of 1,300 people. It's been going on for 31 years and we continue to do this every year. We get several hundred essays every year. We get several hundred people in the audience every year. And I think it just goes to support that idea that anybody can be, you know, we say an armchair philosopher, that anybody can have big ideas and it's really interesting and helpful if we can learn how to share our ideas in a way that's constructive and really listen to each other. And again, this this contest is about civil discourse and how do we have difficult conversations in a more productive way. So we think it's really important that it happens here in New York now. You know, I did a story about, oh, a week or so ago, I guess. Yeah, just going, about a week ago um, that made me think of you. Um, oh. And this was a study by the Center for Rural Policy and Development, the Mankato-based folks. You may be familiar with them. Yeah, um, yep. th- yeah okay. They do an annual survey of population um, trends uh, and they found that for the second year in a row, rural Minnesota counties had modest population increases from in-migration, while Twin Cities urban counties saw out-migration, yeah. which is an interesting trend. My question of you is, it appears at least that um, rural Minnesota is maintaining in terms of population. And, and how do you see that playing out in terms of your own particular organization and this competition? So I think that's another thing that we, it's part of what we do. So being in New York Mills, a town of 1,300, we are also involved, um, you know, at a regional level. In fact, that's in our name, the New York Mills Regional Cultural Center. And we do a lot of things as an arts and cultural organization, but also a community organization. So we're involved in things at the county level as well. And Ottertail County is one of those places that is seeing a population increase, even though we were forecasted to decline. Um, And so we feel that the work we're doing here at the Cultural Center is a reason why people would choose to move to a more rural area. And we have the, the macroeconomic issues, like many rural areas, or I should say many areas overall, that we have workforce shortages. And we play a role in, in helping to solve some of those challenges. Um, we have some great big businesses in New York Mills, Lund and Crestliner Boats are made here. And in neighboring Purim, there's a lot of um, different production facilities. We have KLN Family Brands and Shears Chips and Arvig. And so we, we need a lot of workers. And we think we can be part of that conversation by saying, hey, move here. You know, we have great schools. You have internet access. You can work from home. You can work anywhere. And we have really cool arts and cultural events like the Great American Think Off happening right here in a rural area. That is Betsy Roeder, Executive Director of the New York Mills Regional Cultural Center, telling us about the 31st annual Great American Think Off. And this year's question Is freedom of speech worth the cost? If you have an opinion on that, your essay of no more than 750 words is due by April 1st. Finalists will be announced May 1st, a live debate June 8th in New York Mills. For all the information, just type Great American Think Off into your favorite search engine. And I suppose Alexa will know also. But that is a topic for a future essay that I have been working on for way too long. Tasha, 
Thanks, Bill. More Minnesota Matters after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radel. The 2024 Minnesota State Fair is more than seven months away, but planning is well underway. On this week's show, MN's Brent Palm talks with the State Fair's CEO about the budget, not raising admission prices, improved projects on the fairgrounds, and more. Well, Minnesota State Fair, Renee Alexander. Hey, thanks for joining us on this Midwinter's Day. Thank you so much for having me. I got to ask you this. You now have one state fair under your belt as the CEO or GM. How does it feel to to make that one big step? Oh, it feels great. You know, this first fair was just incredible. And, you know, one of the questions that I was asked, asked quite often was, has anything surprised you? And I think the most surprising thing to me, you know, I've, I've been here for almost 19 years and five years previous to that, just the level of dedication and love that people have for this fair. And, you know, just all of our staff and vendors and exhibitors and, and anyone that, that touches the fair, they're just so dedicated. And, and it was just so great to, to see that throughout our operation it was really a, a great thing this year. Well, if I look at the calendar, we're about seven months away, a little more from <laughs> another state fair. It doesn't, doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like it today, does it? <laughs> no, but I, I've talked to you folks before. I've talked to your predecessors. You folks are planning all year round. We are indeed. And our management team meets every day during the fair even. And, and part of those conversations are next year. You know, we're always looking ahead and what can we do to improve and make our operation better. And, and, and we start we start that process real seriously um, very shortly after the, after the fair ends. So, yeah, we've, we've been working hard and, you know, kind of wrapping up post-fair and, and putting together budgets, which we just had approved over the, this past weekend at, at our annual meeting. Yeah, well, uh, let's talk about that annual meeting because I know the State Agricultural Society or your board of directors had its annual meeting over the weekend. And the one thing that made a lot of noise this week was um, the State Fair won't raise gate admission prices this year. And I know that was just one small part of the meeting, but it's good news for fairgoers. It's great news for fairgoers. You know, we went into our budgeting process this year with that as a priority. We, we realize that, you know, expenses are going up for families and we, we wanted to maintain the incredible value that we are. So it was important for us to, to keep those ticket prices the same as they were this past year. It was very talked about. I mean, it was one of those things that I wrote a few lines Monday and, and did a few stories and everybody was talking about it. It was uh, so people, uh, people are always interested in the state fair, I think. Well, that's great. It's always good to hear that, that people people are interested and excited about the decisions we're making. Hey, one of the other things that was voted on, $10.2 million budgeted for maintenance projects and capital work on the state fairgrounds this year. Renee, let's talk about maybe some of those projects, because I, I read the list and uh, there was kind of some uh, some neat stuff going on. Tell us about some of those projects. Absolutely. So the fairgrounds, we're on 322 acres. We've been on this property since 1885. Our, our primary goal or our primary you know, charge to the Minnesota State Agricultural Society and the Minnesota State Fair is the care, custody, and control of these fairgrounds. So we have buildings that are more than 100 years old, and you know, we, we've got several permanent structures here. We are in charge of the entire infrastructure of these fairgrounds, and we do that without any state funding. So uh, it is very important for us to preserve and, and take care of and improve improve these grounds. So, you know, we, we, our, our list was much longer than $10 million, but these were the things that, that we made a priority this year. We, we always look at and take care of any issues that might be life safety or, or any issues that our, you know, contractors, our, our plumbers, electricians, uh, you know, that they say these, these are must-do items. Those are things that we always take care of. And then this year we also made a priority of what can we do to improve the guest experience? And then also, how can we improve the the efficiency of our operation? How can we make things run smoother? So those were the the three criteria that we used as we went into the budgeting process. Hey, one thing on the list that caught my eye, because I've been there on days when it's 94, and 
a humid installation of water fill stations. Are we going to have more water available out there? Absolutely. That is that is something that is we have made now. That that is a line item that that lives on the budget every year. So we'll we'll be looking for more locations where we can add water fill stations and and drinking fountains. So it's we we know how important, like you said, those those hot days. People are looking for water. So so that's definitely something you'll see more of. Yeah, I also saw installation of new doors and additional fans in the horse barn because we know that's a spot that gets pretty warm as well. Yep, for sure. Yeah, so those those fans hopefully move, you know, some air circulation, move air around in there will hopefully help on some of those hot days. Oh, new ticket office outside the grandstand. Whereabouts? So currently we have a, more of a kind of a portable situation that we have set up, so it'll be on the east plaza of the grandstand. So we'll just move, be moving it, shifting it to the east a little bit further east from where, the, where it currently is and um, just more of a, more of a permanent, permanent installation. I should say a semi-permanent installation. <laughs> okay. Well, we're over by the grandstand. I have to ask, yes. um, when might we hear about some of the entertainment coming to the Great Minnesota Get-Together? Soon. Very soon. <laughs> we'll, we'll be having some announcements coming up here in, in the coming weeks. So uh, we're getting close to announcing some things. It's usually like June or July before we unveil the new foods, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's way too soon for new foods. <laughs> Well, hey, uh, Renee Alexander, Minnesota State Fair CEO, thanks for giving us an update. Like I said, in the middle of winter, it's it's nice to think about the State Fair, and um, I'm sure we'll touch base with you again when, yeah, some entertainment, um, some other exciting stuff happens. I know that the State Fair isn't the only thing that happens on the State Fairgrounds um, all year round, and you folks are plenty busy over there. We definitely are, and it's always a pleasure to talk with you, Brent. Eminence Brent Palm and State Fair CEO Renee Alexander. Time for our last break. Stay tuned. Adopt US Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. Your daughter just had her first breakup. Do you A, put yourself in her shoes? How could he do this to you? And for Sheila, she, she has split ends. B, console her. Oh, sweetie, this is going to happen a lot. Four, maybe five more times before you get married. C, take charge. Got to get this all straightened out. Keep a little talking to, man to man, mano a mano. Hey, Steve. Is now a good time? No? Okay, no problem. Bye. Or D, help her find a new boyfriend. I know a great place to meet boys. The internet. Nice, single boys. Never mind. How about some ice cream? As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Minnesota is hosting the 2024 Big Ten Women's Basketball Tournament from March 6th through the 10th at Target Center. The Big Ten Vice President of Women's Basketball is Megan Kahn, who was in Minneapolis this week and spoke with Eminence Sports Director Mike Grimm about the big event. Well, if I wasn't uber excited, uh, you should probably check my pulse after last year because we set records, attendance, records, TV viewership, merchandise sales, you name it. We probably set a record at one of the sessions, if not multiple sessions last year. And so coming off that and really seeing the way that the fans embraced us in Minneapolis. It was the first time we had ever been up here and, and what we're seeing just across the league in terms of our attendance numbers and the way ticket sales are trending so far. I know we're extremely excited. It's going to be exciting basketball again. I anticipate really, really great crowds. So I, I don't want to ask specifics in terms of tickets. Uh, we'll get the info of how people can buy tickets. That said, I will mention to our fans that if you are following what Caitlin Clark's doing, she is basically selling out every road venue now. The game here against the Gophers in February sold out like a month ago. Um, so the fact that she's selling every road venue you out and she's a difference maker and all of that stuff fans should probably log on and start purchasing their tickets for this event i would think yeah i know the demand's high and and as we talked about iowa being such a great sell we're seeing also sellouts at purdue for additional games at indiana for additional games i know nebraska fans
fans have been fantastic. Even at the barn, they've been showing up fantastic. UConn and, and some of the other games. So I know the demand is very high. And I think as we go uh, down the stretch of the season here, where I think we're you know going to be 50 days from tip now and when this airs will be less than that. So uh, demand is going to be very high and those primo seats are going to be very limited. Um, last year, the first year here, the tournament had been around in some different locations. I remember I actually did games in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and Lisa Bluter's first year when they won it her first year. I was her play-by-play -play announcer that year uh, for Iowa women. But um, it's been a different place, uh, different places. What did you learn from year one about Minneapolis that you can incorporate now in year two? It went, obviously, smoothly last year, but maybe even to make it smoother this year, too. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm not sure that necessarily we had anything bad happen that we would want to correct for this year. It's, we're always just focused on elevating the student-athlete experience, and so from the time they touch down here in Minneapolis through their departure, whether that's on Thursday or Championship Sunday, we want to ensure that they had a fantastic experience from the restaurants, from their feel inside the arena, to the signage, to did the city have a vibe to it, and did they know Big Ten Women's Basketball Tournament was going on? So those are the things that we're constantly working on and focusing on, and in several meetings and conversations with uh, with the people of Minneapolis, Minnesota Sports and Events. Um, and, and so I really think it's going to be another fantastic time. Championship Sunday and the Blue Carpet Arrivals is always a really fantastic time. I think Friday of the tournament when seeds one through four play for the first time is always a great day. And then semifinals. Um, and for the first time ever, our championships game is going to be on CBS. Wow, that's awesome, too. Um, have you been able, over the course of recent years, when it's at a different venue, been able to determine maybe it's a different set of fans? For example, if it's in Indianapolis, you've got that Indiana group that loves basketball. It's a state of basketball there. If it's in Chicago, maybe it's a little different group. Here in Minneapolis, maybe some of those northern folk, Iowa fans that live in, well, Iowa fans that live anywhere probably came last year. And Wisconsin, if they're competitive, Nebraska, it's probably you know their second closest drivable trip. So is it maybe a different group of people that you're able to introduce this event to? Yeah, and that's one of the great things about moving the tournament around is we grow our fan base and we create a new demographic for women's basketball and women's sports. Same thing could be said about a football championship game or our men's basketball tournament um, and really exposing new fans and giving new fans an opportunity to attend is something really exciting for us. But you're right, when we're in Indy, we see a really strong Indiana-Purdue crowd. Last year we saw a really strong Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska crowd. Wisconsin's super close. Even the Michigan schools are not that far away. So um, it, it really is a pretty easy place to get into with the number of direct flights here from our Big Ten cities. The Caitlin Clark effect, not just for this tournament just for college basketball in general um, what kind of perspective can you give to us from the Big Ten office as to what it's meant well it, I grew up in Iowa mm -hmm. so having been a young girl who had basketball dreams growing up in Iowa and then watch her live that out it's been really fun for me personally from the perspective of the conference office and as you know a stakeholder in women's basketball it's phenomenal we've never seen to this date somebody do what she's able to do and has put us on the map in the same conversations, the same breath as the men, or even sometimes more than the men, the, the attention that she's garnering, the national brand coverage, the media coverage, these are things that are unprecedented, but they should be the norm. Okay. Um, and so she's the first, hopefully she's not the last. Uh, Juju Watkins, if we want to talk about somebody who's coming up right behind Caitlin and who will be in the Big Ten Conference in a year from now as a freshman right now at, at USC. And so to see some of these women be able to follow in her footsteps, and that's the cool thing about Caitlin is she loves being a role model for young girls and young boys and inspiring them and she'll sign autographs after the game and so we really talk about that Caitlin Clark if you're in the arena sold out arena you see even when they're on the road it's half Hawkeye fans um, and so people are traveling the 
world or sometimes the globe to see her play. Um, and so it's true, it's real. Um, we're embracing it. Uh, we'd be silly not to embrace it from our perspective, from the conference perspective. But I also have a job to promote 13 other really, really great teams. And as we look at the postseason and who's prepared to do well in the postseason to try to get our teams into the NCAA tournament and the, the new WBIT tournament. That's the vice president of women's basketball for Big Ten Conference, Megan Kahn, with Eminem Sports Director, Mike Grimm. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Minnesota Matters. Be sure to join us again next week on this MNN affiliate station, same time, same place. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Tasha Radal.